Good morning, everyone. The Fast Five was too short for me to set up. I should have had someone help me, Ron. Hey, we are so glad that you are here this morning. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors on staff. If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, um, I am glad that you are here. Um, I'm so honored and always humbled whenever Pastor Dan asks me to share um, on a Sunday morning because it really is an honor and a privilege to be able to share God's word with you. And if you don't like the sermon today, come back next week because Pastor Dan will be back, all right? And so uh, it'll be great as it always is. Well, I brought a couple of props with me this morning. Um, Parents, I don't know where you're at in your parenting stages yet, but I sometimes have to bribe my children, Um, especially when it comes to eating fruits and vegetables. Now, um, even though I, some of you might love fruits and vegetables, you might love kale or bananas or avocados or apples or carrots, that there, you may love that. And maybe even your kids love that. But in the Escamilla house, um, our tendency is to lean this direction, um, towards Chick-fil-A. Now, I've heard that Chick-fil-A, they say they didn't invent the chicken sandwich, um, but they perfected it. Uh, And I don't know about you if you guys even like Chick-fil-A. Our family loves Chick-fil-A, the chicken sandwich or the nuggets or the waffle fries. Or I don't know if any one of you have ever had Chick-fil-A sauce. Um, Okay, a few of you have. Um, Chick-fil-A sauce will be in heaven. But... uh, (laughs) Because I can eat Chick-fil-A sauce just with a spoon. Like, that's how much I like it. Um, or their strawberry shakes or their sweet tea. Um, and then they're always so nice and courteous to say, uh, it's my pleasure at the end of after always serving you. Whatever it is, it's always their pleasure to serve you or to help you. And I think probably most of us, whether it's Chick-fil-A or some other type of comfort food, we would lean this direction. You might enjoy some avocados or some fruits or some vegetables, but a majority of us, we're going to lean this direction when it comes to our food of choice. And uh, not only do I have to bribe my kids to eat certain foods, I also have to bribe them to read certain books. Um, So I'm at that parenting stage now, especially with the teenage daughter. I'll pay her $20. I'll even pay her $50 to read some books because I want my kids to grow up to be critical thinkers. I want them to understand and to have a worldview where they're not just accepting everything that they hear, but they're actually thinking about what they hear. And so there's this book called Popular. Uh, The subtitles is Boys, Booze, and Jesus, and uh, Tyndall Baldwin wrote this book. Um, And it's an incredible book. If you have a teenage daughter, I would encourage you to have her read it, even if you have to pay her to read it. Um, But I I would encourage you to do that. But Tyndall says this in her book, and this is kind of be our springboard or our diving board with what we're talking about this morning. And this is what Tyndall says. That's a great question. What do you do when your body wants... What your heart knows is wrong. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? Because all of us probably at some point in time in our life, we can think back to a spring break or an after prom or a date or a weekend, or maybe it was a business trip, and we hope that 
they didn't save the voicemail. We hope that they deleted the text. We hope that, that we don't have to admit or have a conversation about what we did during that time because in our hearts, we knew it was wrong. They were, our hearts were telling us, hey, leave, don't stay the night, or hey, just, just go back or call Uber or get a taxi or just get out of this situation because our hearts knew it was wrong, but our bodies were telling us it's fine. Our bodies were trying to justify it. Our bodies were trying to say, just give into it for a moment. Or our bodies were trying to say, you're young, just sow your wild oats or whatever it is. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? Because this can be in our finances, financial, financial decisions that lead to debt. This can be in food choices, even though that's not gonna harm us too bad unless you drink a gallon of Chick-fil-A sauce. But, but all of us, probably in our relationships, we've felt that before. There, there's some people we wish we could unfollow. There's some people we wish we could unfriend or untext or uncall. There's, there's some relationships that have caused some regret or heartache or damage in our lives. And if we could turn back time, if we could go backwards, we wish that we could change some of the decisions that we've made. And so whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in the Bible or not, this is an incredible question to wrestle with. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? We're going to be in the book of Judges today. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. For those of you who are new to Scripture, the Bible's broken up into two Testament. You have the Old Testament towards the front of the book, and then you have the New Testament towards the middle and the last part of the book. And we're going to be in the New Testament in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 14. And uh, if you have it on your Bible app, you're welcome to turn there. Um, you're welcome. Did I say something wrong? <laughs> Old Testament, not the New Testament. The book of Judges. You guys are smart. Wow, you caught that. So we're in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 14. And if you have the Bible app, you're welcome to open it up. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen here in a moment. But I just kind of want to set the stage for the book of Judges. Judges is, is this period of time. You guys remember the, the gentleman's name who was Moses. And he leads the nation of Israel out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. And the nation rebels against God and they have to wander in the desert for 40 years. And then Moses dies and Joshua, his right-hand man, takes over and, and he leads them into the promised land, into Canaan. And he gets everyone set up, gets all their dorm rooms set up. Everyone's kind of settled, all the 12 tribes. Everybody gets tucked in and, and they're ready to go. And then Joshua dies and he gives this incredible speech and he reminds the people to, to remember what God has said. Remember what Moses gave us. Re remember what the Lord has commanded us. Remember you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're set apart for God. But then Joshua dies. And you have this gap of about 330 years before King Saul shows up, their very first king. And that's the book of Judges. And during the book of Judges, there's this cycle that Israel continues to go through. They're close to God at the beginning, but then they're like you and me. They don't like being told what to do. And after a while, their hearts begin to drift away from God. And then tragedy comes or disaster comes or their enemies come in, and then they run back to God. And they're like, God, get us out of this. We promise we'll start going to church. God, I promise I won't date anymore. God, I, I promise I'll, I'll do whatever it is. I'll even give up Facebook for a week. Please just get me out of this jam. And, and so they draw back close to God and God raises up a deliverer. And then the deliverer leads them back to God. And then after a while, the deliverer dies and, and then they, their hearts start to drift. And then disaster comes 
And then they run back to God, God, please help us, please, God, I promise, I'll always, I'll never, I promise, God, please, please, please. And God raises up a deliverer. And then the deliverer dies. And they just keep going in this circle over and over and over and over again. It's one of the most depressing books in the Bible. And there's 12 deliverers, about 12 of them, and there's famous ones like Ehud and Deborah, and you've probably heard of Gideon. But today we're going to look at one of the most famous judges in all of the book. His name is Samson. And Samson had this incredible calling. Samson was kind of this microcosm of the nation of Israel. Because God had a specific plan and a purpose for the nation of Israel, and God had a specific plan and a purpose for Samson. Samson's birth was like all the other births in the Bible. There's a couple and they can't have any kids. And then an angel of the Lord shows up to this couple and says, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And the couple says, let us guess it's going to be a boy because it's always a boy, right? And then they have a boy and the angel tells him, hey, this boy, he's going to be unique. He's going to be different because God has set him aside from even from his birth. And we want you to know, God wants you to know that, that he's going to have a unique plan and purpose for your son. And the angel tells Samson's parents, we want Samson to be set apart for God. There's, there, there's a thing called a Nazarite vow, and the Israelites were very familiar with the Nazarite vow. And a Nazarite vow was just simply, basically three principles, and it was this. Nothing from the vine, so no grapes, no wine. Don't touch anything that's dead. And I don't know how you do that. Do you wound mosquitoes or just injure mosquitoes? I mean, I don't know how, because in my house we kill mosquitoes <laughs> and then wipe them off. And, um, and, and then the last thing was this, you can't cut your hair. Now, most of the Israelites, when they took a Nazarite vow, it was for 30 days or 90 days. It was this period of time. It was kind of like Lent where they were saying, hey, God, we're going to get close to you. We're going to draw near to you. We're going to sacrifice some things in order to get close to you, God. And so they would do it for 60 or 30 or 90 days. But Samson, I'm sure he's getting around six years old, and his parents pull him aside and say, hey, Samson, the reason you can't have a juicy box, the, the reason we're not cutting your hair, the reason we say don't play with dead things, Samson, is because you're a Nazarite. You're different than all the other kids. God told us from an angel that from your birth you were going to be different, and so you can't have anything from the vine. You can't have any grapes or any juice. And, and, and you can't touch anything that's dead. And you can't cut your hair. So Samson really didn't have a choice with, with this whole dedication, this whole commitment to the Lord. But Samson did have a choice on whether or not he was going to lean in to God's purposes and his plans for his life. So Samson grows up, and, and he's a teenage boy, and he's sent down to the borderlands of Israel and, and where the Philistines are, and, and he's working border patrol. That, that's kind of where he is. And they begin to notice that he's different, that he has supernatural strength, that, that Samson can do incredible things with his body. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this part, so I'm making this part up, but, but I don't think Samson looked like this huge guy. I mean, when we think of someone strong, we think of someone who's got huge biceps or triceps or quads or calves and, and someone who's just muscular and who has a six pack. I mean, you think of Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, or John Cena, or Pastor Josh. I mean, someone like that who's just completely cut and just enormous and huge. That's what you think about. And we're not told, the Bible doesn't tell us if, if, if Samson looked like that or not, but, but I think he just looked like an average guy. 
Because if someone huge like that, someone muscular, someone who was a weightlifter did something incredible like that, we would be like, of course he can pick up the pew. He doesn't have a neck. Yeah, he, right, of course, he ha- he's strong. That's, but if someone like me did something incredible or just someone who looked average, everyone would stand in awe because they were like, man, that must be God. Only God could help someone to do something like that. And so Samson has this supernatural strength, and, and, and he, he's doing incredible things for God. But Samson has a kryptonite, and it's Philistine women. Samson is eaten up with lust. Samson is eaten up with desire for Philistine women. In fact, the Bible tells us multiple times he would cross to the Philistine border. He would cross the Philistine border into the enemy's camp, and he would sleep with Philistine women. He's sleeping with the enemy and over and over again, his heart is just completely and totally consumed by this lust. What what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? And and so Samson can't get enough and, and he keeps going back over and over and over again. In fact, after his birth story, we're we're told this story in Judges chapter 14, and this is what it says, beginning in verse number one, it says this. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman down in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. And his parents, no doubt, are thinking, Samson, if anyone shouldn't be going across the border back and forth to the enemy, it's you. Samson, you've been set apart. Remember what the angel said? Remember that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? Samson, you shouldn't be doing this. And so his mom and dad reply, isn't there an acceptable woman woman among your relatives? Which means they were from southern Israel. Some, okay. Some of you will get that later, but okay, we'll move on. Isn't there someone among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? I mean, Samson, come on, you know this. If anyone shouldn't be going across, if anyone shouldn't be marrying a Philistine woman, Samson, it's you. Why would you do this, Samson? You're you're in a covenant relationship with God. The Philistines aren't in covenant relationship with God. Samson, the Philistines worship other gods. And church, God wasn't against interracial marriage. That's not what this is talking about. God was against relationships that we're pulling his people out of relationship with him. God was, out of, was against people who were in relationships that were pulling them out of relationship with him. It's kind of like this if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, right? And you marry someone who's a Washington Redskins fan. Or even worse than that, a Philadelphia Eagles fan, okay? And they come in with their, their jerseys uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles or for the Redskins, and, and they're bringing in their trophies, and they're bringing in their posters and, and all of that, and you begin to mix your Dallas Cowboys stuff with Philadelphia Eagles stuff. That just doesn't mix, does it? Right, exactly. I got an amen over here. Okay. And it, it, I know that's a weak illustration, but God's saying, hey, the Philistines, the Canaanites, They worship other gods, and if you marry them, they're going to begin to pull your heart away from the one true God. And so he's trying to warn them. 
don't allow, and I'm not talking about being salt and light, church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about intimate relationships that pull you away from your relationship with God. And so Samson says to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. And, and there's this phrase in the, the, towards the end of the book of Judges, and, and it's this reoccurring phrase of, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this sentence that Samson tells his mom and dad is almost the exact same sentence as, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Because isn't that our problem, church? Our tendency is to do what's right in our own eyes. We begin to ignore God's voice. We begin to ignore the, the people who love us. We begin to ignore their advice or their wisdom that they're sharing with us. We, we begin to ignore and we're like, I know best. I know what's best for me. I, I know what's best for my life. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And Samson says, she's the right one for me. She's the right one. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So the story, the story begins to slow way down when he meets this next girl, Delilah. Because he marries this girl bef before he met Delilah and and, I mean, he has this Philistine wedding. They're down there with his parents. Because of her association with Samson, she gets burned up. Her family gets destroyed. I mean, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. And after that, Samson keeps crossing the border and having more one-night stands. But then when he meets Delilah, finally the story starts to slow down. And if you've ever read the story of Samson, you begin to ask yourself this. Is anyone that stupid? Is anyone really that dumb? Because we're getting ready to read the story, but, but once you, you read the story of Samson, you begin to wonder, can, can anyone be that blinded to make that kind of dumb decision? Could anyone, could any man be so enamored with a woman or the image of a woman or the idea of a woman that he would make that kind of stupid decision over and over and over again to which all the men in the house would probably say, Okay, a few of you are honest, that's all right. The rest of you are sitting by your wife, or I get it, we're in church, okay, I understand. But, but that's the idea. I mean, could, could anyone be that dumb? And the truth of the matter is, yes, we can. Because probably men, we, and you don't even like me bringing this up in church, but you've gone to places you hope no one finds out about. You've spent money that you hope no one finds out about. You've hidden things on your computer that you hope no one ever finds. Why? Because you've gotten so caught up with this idea of a woman that, that it's made you lose sight of everything else. And, and you've gotten so in, in, in depth in passion or lust or desire or whatever it was that you've made some incredibly dumb decisions. And when you look back, you're like, what in the world was I thinking? Why would I put myself in jeopardy? Why would I put my marriage in jeopardy like that? Why would I put my future or, or my business in jeopardy? Why would I make that kind of decision? And, and Samson's there. Because, and ladies, I'm so sorry. You're stuck with us, okay? Because men really only need three things. We need food, we need sex, and we need an occasional pat on the back. Oh, you did good. Yeah, I saw you score that touchdown. That was so awesome. Oh, that's great, honey. Thank you for carrying in the groceries. You're so strong. You're so big. You're so awesome. You're so wonderful. Ladies, we only need food, sex, and an occasional pat on the back. And if we had to choose one of the three, <laughs> let me just say, we, we'd probably starve to death, okay? Let me just leave it at that. So, 
And, and, and men are simple. Ladies, and, and before you start texting Pastor Dan or before you start emailing him, okay, dan at bethesda.net.com, okay, that's, that's his email address. Ladies, you're just naive, okay? Some of you are just naive because you believe us. You believe some of the same stupid lies and lines that men feed you over and over and over again. Because here, here's just a couple of them that I want to read to you that I found. Girl, you know I want your love. Your love was handmade for somebody like me. I'm in love with the shape of you. Back and forth like a magnet. No? Okay. Anyway. Or, hey, my name's Microsoft. Can I crash at your house tonight? If I could rearrange the alphabet, I would put you and I together. Or, uh, hey, I mean, we just need to move in together, okay? We just need to see if we're compatible. We just need to see if we can make this work. Ladies, I don't know what lines you've been fed by men before, but you would think after thousands and thousands and thousands of years of evolution that science tells us that this would have been weeded out by now, right? I mean, Oprah's been off of network television for how many years? And some of you have just lost your mind. You've forgotten everything that Oprah taught you all of those years that she was on TV. And, and so, ladies, sometimes you're just naive. And, and men, we, we're just simple. And, and ladies, be, before, I, just a couple more things, and then I promise I'll stop offending you, and you can text Pastor Dan till your heart's desire, okay? But, <laughs> ladies, if he can't afford to marry you, then he can't afford you. If he can't afford to marry you, then he can't. Well, Michael, that's old-fashioned. No, it's not. That's what you wanted when you were a little girl when you watched those princess movies. You love those movies because they live happily ever after, not because they moved in together, not because they slept together, not because they decided, hey, we're going to do this for a little while and then I'm going to go on to my next person. No, you love those movies because they committed to one another happily ever after. That's not old-fashioned. That's what you wanted when you were little. And if he can't afford to marry you, then he can't afford you. Not because you're high-maintenance, because you're worth affording. So ladies, just tell him, when you can afford to marry me, come back to me. When you can afford to marry me, text me, because I'm worth affording. All right? The second thing, ladies, is just simply this. God designed your bodies as the dessert not the appetizer. I didn't think we would be cheering about that, but that's okay. We can cheer about that. God designed your bodies as the dessert, not the appetizer. If you keep serving up your bodies as the appetizer, no wonder no one is sticking around for the main course. No wonder so many of your relationships end the same way. Because sex is a powerful thing. It's an incredible thing. It's a gift from God. But you know this. If it's used in the wrong way, it's just a destructive thing. It's a thing that can break hearts and emotions and relationships for years and years to come. And you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. You just have to live a little while to know that that's the truth. Last thing or back here to the story of Samson, and we're almost done. It says this, sometime later, and we're in chapter 16 now, sometime later he fell in love with this woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And so Samson, his, his first wife, again, she, she died. 
Now, he's been going one night stand after the other until he meets Delilah. And he's saying, okay, this is really the one, I promise, this this is the woman for me. This is the one that I want to be with. So the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how he, we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver, which is about $90,000. It's hard to figure out inflation over 3,300 years, but about $90,000 that they're promising Delilah if she can find out his secret. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Now, I don't think she's asking him this over dinner, but I don't want to get into all the details. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson, okay. (laughs) You have the chance to be like no other man who's ever lived on this planet. You have the strength and the power to do incredible, incredible things. And you're willing to play with fire so that a woman can see and subdue you and make you just like any other man? And so Samson plays the game. Okay, Delilah, this is what you got to do. Get seven bowstrings that have never been dried and tie them around me. And then I'll be as weak as any other man. And so she takes him to bed. He gets drunk. He passes out. She runs in. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. Samson jumps up. He breaks the bowstrings off. He beats up the Philistines. They run out of the house. And listen to what Delilah says. She says, you made a fool of me. You lied to me. How? Come now and tell me how you can be tied. This is where Samson should be like, we're done. See ya. I'm leaving. (laughs) It's over. I'm sorry. But listen to what he he says. Okay, hold on. It wasn't the bowstrings. It's a new rope. Delilah, if you wrap me up in a new rope that's never been used before, then I'll be as weak as any other man. So she takes him to bed, gets him drunk. He passes out. She wraps him up with new rope. Samson, 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 the Philistines are here. The Philistines are here. Samson jumps up, breaks off the rope, beats up the Philistines. They go running out of the house. And listen to what Delilah says. All this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. Samson, (laughs) the last two times, it just so happens that the secret that you told her to make you just like any other man is happening to you. And and you're still going to play this game. You're still, you haven't walked away yet. Samson, are you really that dumb? Well, no. Well, yeah, he's dumb, but not because he's Samson. It's because he's a man. And Delilah's whatever she is, and she's offering whatever she's offering. And it's blinded Samson to the point where he's not thinking straight. It's blinded Samson to the point where he's not making wise decisions. It's blinded Samson to the point where he doesn't remember what his covenant with God even looked like. And so now he's getting closer. He's like, okay, Delilah. If you take my hair, my braids of my hair, and you place them and you weave them into a weaver's loom, then I'll be as weak as any other man. So she takes him to bed, gets him drunk, he passes out. 
She weaves the braids of his hair into this weaver loom, like this old-fashioned sewing machine is what it's kind of like. And then she runs in, Samson, Samson, the Philistines, they're here again, they're here. And he wakes up and he pulls his hair out of the loom and he beats up the Philistines just like he has every other time. And listen to what Delilah says. How can you say you love me and you won't confide in me, Samson? Women, do you know the power that you have? (laughs) I mean, I probably shouldn't even be telling you this. Do you understand the power that you have over men? All of you have it. But listen to, she says, this is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me your secret of your great strength. With such, uh uh-oh, nagging. She prodded him day after day until he, it's in the Bible, until he was sick to death of it. You should read your Bibles. I'm telling you, folks, there's some great stuff in there. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. Yeah, Delilah. An angel told my parents about my birth. And I'm in covenant relationship with God. And God wanted to do these great things through me so that when the rest of the world looked at Israel, when the rest of the world looked at me, that we could all just point back to God and say, it's not because of us, not to us be the glory, but to him be the glory. Because... I can't do this by myself. It's only because of God. But Delilah, I love you. So I'll tell you my secret. No razor's ever been placed on my head. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. So she takes him to bed. He passes out. And he gets a haircut. And the Bible tells us that she runs in and says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. The Philistines are here. And this is one of the saddest verses to me in the Bible. Because it says that Samson gets up and he thinks he's just going to do what he's always done. But the Spirit of God left him. And he didn't even know it. Because when you do what's right in your own eyes, when you ignore God's voice in your life, it leads you to places you never thought that you would be. And and I've probably seen one too many movies, but I can just picture Samson down on his hands and knees and the Philistines are getting ready to blind him. The Bible tells us they gouge out his eyes, which had been his problem the whole time. And I can just imagine he's looking up and he sees Delilah with her bags of money or her counting her money, her silver And she's the last one that he sees. The very woman that he thought he loved. The very woman that he thought he could confide in. The the very one who betrays him is the last one that he sees. The Bible tells us that they take him down to Gaza. They put him in shackles and chains and he dies a prisoner. And I look at Samson's life and I'm like, how can someone with so much promise, how could someone with so much potential, how could someone with so much going for them end up the way that Samson ends up? Well, it's really simple. When we do what's right in our own eyes, church, when we ignore the kingdom of conscience, when we ignore the people who love us, when we ignore God, 
eventually it's going to bring destruction into our lives. It'll take us to places we never thought we would be. Well, okay, Michael, <laughs> I mean, I'm not Samson. There, there was no incredible birth announcement. No angels appeared to my parents. In fact, they're like, you're 11 months younger than your sister. What do you think? They finally told me I was an accident. I mean, I didn't even know my mom or I didn't even know my dad. or uh, I mean, my parents weren't even Christians. I was adopted. There, there's nothing special about me. But can I tell you something, church? There is. Because 1,300 years after Samson dies, there's another Jewish man who, who comes alive, who, who, who transforms and changes Christianity and our faith today. Our faith has been impacted by this gentleman, and his, his name was Paul. And, and Paul writes this letter to the city in Corinth, the city called Corinth, and Corinth was just eaten up with lust. It was eaten up with sexual depravity. It was eaten up and just consumed with it. And Paul writes this letter to the, the church of Corinth, and, and this is what he tells them. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't try to manage it. Don't try to work through it. Don't get an accountability partner. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins. All other sins, Paul says. All other sins a person commits. All other sins a person commits. He says sexual immorality is in a different category than all other sins. Not because God hates it more. Not because God's going to send you to hell if you're sexually immoral. Not because God, it'll make God mad at you. Not because he's upset with you. Not because he won't forgive you for sexual immorality. Not because you can't go to heaven if you've ever been sexually immoral. It's none of that. He says all other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever commits or whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It's different because the people who are involved, they're not just sinning outside of their body, they're sinning against themselves. They're hurting themselves in ways, and you know this to be true, they're hurting themselves in ways that will probably stay with them for years and years and years to come. They're probably going to carry that baggage into their next relationship. They're probably going to carry that baggage into their marriage. They're probably going to carry that baggage into the relationships in their future. Why? Because sexual immorality is not like any other sin. Because you're hurting yourself. I, I wish you could hear me. You're hurting yourself. But Paul goes on. Listen to what he says. Do you not know? Because they didn't know. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? No, Paul, I just thought my body was my body and God was in heaven and I could do whatever I wanted to with my body and then I come to church on the weekends and I pray a prayer and I cry some tears and then I can go and do whatever I want to with my body after that. And Paul says, no, no. Did your mom never tell you? Did your dad never tell you? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own you are not your own. If you're a Christian, you are not your own. You've been bought. You've been redeemed. There's been a price that's been paid for you. That cross, it represents something. That God paid the price for your life with his own son. That he loved you so much that he was willing to give his son for your sin. And so you've been redeemed. You've been bought. You've been purchased because God loves you that much. And then here's his application and the conclusion. Therefore, because God's done all this for you, 
And because you're so special and because you have a plan and God, or God has a plan and a destiny for you, therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. So church, how best as a high school student, how best as a college student, who's part of a sorority or a fraternity? How best as a person who works in an environment where people don't care about how many people they sleep with, they don't care about what they do with their body? How, how, how best as a person who's just recently moved to the DFW area? How best as a person who says, I'm a follower of Christ, how best as a married couple can we honor God with our body? And, and I know there's pushback to this, okay? I know the culture that we live in. I get it. Well, Michael, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. That's good for Christians, but that's not good for me. That's good for people who go to church, but that's not good for me. That's people who are moral, but that's not good for me because sex is a preference, okay? And, and, and this is an argument that I hear on a regular basis. Well, my, my sexuality, it's a preference. Okay, well, let's think about that for a second. If it was a preference there would be no predictable outcome or consequences. Do you understand that? If, if it was a preference, preferences are like, I like the color blue, you like the color red. I like this kind of art, you like that kind of art. I like this kind of car, you like that kind of car. There's no predictable outcome or consequences. But your sexuality, and of course, I think you know this, you're smart people, your sexuality is not a preference. It's kind of like nutrition. You can choose to eat Chick-fil-A for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, except on Sundays because they're closed on Sundays, but you can choose to eat Chick-fil-A for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but there's a predictable outcome. There's a predictable consequences to that. Why? Because it's kind of like nutrition. Or you can choose to eat carrots and avocados and bananas and kale and cucumbers, but there's a predictable outcome there's predictable consequences to this. You can choose to drink water or sweet tea, but there's predictable outcomes. Why? Because of design. Because of divine design. God created sex. He created it to work a certain way. He made it to work a certain way. And when you go outside of the way that he created it, if you go outside of the way that he designed it, you know this. It brings destruction and pain, and hurt, and consequences. Why? Because sex isn't a preference. It's by divine design. And I didn't even want to bring this up in church because it's kind of embarrassing, but I, I run across singles or college students or young adults who say this all the time. Well, practice makes perfect. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I mean, I need to know something. I don't want to look dumb or I don't want to look stupid when I'm with somebody. L listen, okay? So there's some marital advice. You have to practice to learn how to play the violin. I promise you'll be able to figure out sex with your husband or your wife without one practice session. Okay? I promise you'll be able to figure it out. In fact, I, I want, look like you don't know what you're doing. Even if you have to fake it, just look like you don't have a clue to what you're doing because you know this church. Even if you're not a Christian, you know this. You know what fuels romance? Exclusivity. You know what fuels romance? Exclusivity. Exclusivity says this, I've waited for you. I've kept myself for you. 
I, I have eyes for only you. When I leave for a business trip, you don't have to worry because, honey, I'm committed to you. When your wife goes out with the girlfriends for the weekend, you don't have to worry. Why? Because she's made a commitment to you and she's been faithful to you before. She's been faithful to you currently and you can trust her to be faithful to you afterwards. Exclusivity fuels romance. And our culture believes, well, sleep with as many people as you want, sleep with as many people as you possibly can, and then when you get married, flip this magic switch and stay committed to one person for the rest of your life. Is that even possible? I mean, is our culture that, their mind is just so twisted and warped that they would actually believe that? And Paul says, no, flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because exclusivity fuels romance. Students, if you're dating, exclusivity fuels romance. If your boyfriend cheats on you, you don't want to be with him. Why? Because you understand that exclusivity fuels romance. When someone's just committed to you, it brings you closer together. You know that's true. And so here's my question, and we're going to end. We're going to end early. Praise the Lord. All right, here we go. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, church, when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? What are you going to do? Are you going to choose just to go with the culture? Are you going to choose to just go with the norms? Are you just going to choose to continue to go down this path or this way? Because it's only going to hurt you. Samson teaches us it's only going to destroy God's plans and his purposes for your life. And I know this lands in a lot of places for a lot of different people. Some of you have regret. Some of you wish you could go back. Some of you wish you would have heard this a long time ago. Some of you wish someone else was here so that they could hear it because you know that they need to hear it. It lands in a lot of places with a lot of people. But what are you going to do in your marriage, in your dating relationships? What are you going to do? When your heart wants what your, when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong. And would you be willing to commit to saying, God, I want to honor you with my body in every area of my life, especially in the area of my sexuality. God, I want to honor you with my body. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for preserving this unusual story for us that's so extreme and yet it's kind of reflects a lot of us that are here today. There's a little bit of Samson in every single one of us. But God, would you please give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard God, it would be easy to shut our computer off. It would be easy to walk out of this room and go to lunch. It would be easy just to kind of blow this off or just ignore it. But God, would you continue to teach us what it means to honor you with our body? It, it breaks your heart, God. It, it breaks my heart with some of the regret and the pain that so many of us have had to walk through because we just wouldn't listen. But God, give us the courage and the ability, God, to know what to do next and to follow through. In Jesus' name, amen.